0: It's a pleasure to be able to represent rising above here but it's an honor to be able to stay here in this capacity this morning and bring to you um, the Word of God as we continue on in the series of the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark and this will be the third in that series but we're still in Mark chapter 1 and if you do have your Bibles you may want to open to that and uh, prepare to look some more at Mark chapter 1 this morning. Excited to work through this book. This is the shortest of the four Gospels. Um, and, and it's known as, as a, the, the gospel of action, because Mark really pulls out the ministry of Jesus very clearly in his words. And I want to read a bit from Eugene Peterson's when he did the message, the paraphrase of the message. He introduces each of the books of the Bible with a unique short introduction. I just want to read a few sentences from his introduction um, to the gospel of Mark. He says, Mark wastes no time in getting down to business. An event has taken place that radically changes the way we look at and experience the world. And he can't wait to tell us about it. There's an air of breathless excitement in nearly every sentence he writes. The sooner we get the message, the better off we'll be, for the message is good, incredibly good. God is here and he's on our side. Let me just read that last. Part again here, the sooner we get the message, the better off we'll be for the message is good, incredibly good. God is here and he's on our side. He doesn't want us to waste a minute of these precious lives of ours, ignorant of the most practical of all matters, that God is passionate to save us. God is here and he's on our side and he's passionate to save us, is what Eugene Peterson is saying is the the core message of the Gospel of Mark, and we'll be seeing that not only today, but in the in the coming weeks as we continue to unpack this. Pastor West started this off two weeks ago, and Jesus arriving on the scene, and he came into a baptism of repentance as he was baptized himself, himself, and he was anointed, affirmed by the Father through that, and Pastor West unpacked that and the importance of baptism. Last week, Dan followed that up with, with now Jesus is engaging in this with the message of repentance and the message to come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And there was a really good challenge in there about our part in that and where we fit into this. Now Mark makes a little bit of a shift here as we get a a stronger picture of who Jesus is. And so we're we're gonna look at this this morning. And I think what Mark is doing is using his observations of Jesus to paint us a portrait so that we can understand who Jesus is, and we're going to come to terms with that. So I've entitled this message this morning, The Intersection of Unquestionable Authority and Generous Compassion. The Intersection of Unquestionable Authority and Generous Compassion. It's a pretty long title, but you'll catch it as we continue to move through this. And what I want to say about that title is, and that's ultimately the place where we want to build our lives is at the intersection of understanding jesus's unquestionable authority and being a recipient of his generous compassion let's pray god as we unpack this these verses and observe how you lived amongst people and touched people's lives may we be challenged where we need to be challenged May we be encouraged where we need to be encouraged this morning through your word and open our hearts and use me this morning to speak them, to speak your truth, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bibles or your app, and I think it'll be up on the screen as well, let's turn to Mark chapter one. We're gonna start from verse 21 and we're gonna be looking at all the way down to 39 today, but we're just gonna start now with verses 21 to 28. Of Mark chapter 1 says they went to Capernaum and when the Sabbath came Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority not as the teachers of the law just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out what do you want with us Jesus of Nazareth have you come to destroy us I know who you are the Holy One of God, be quiet, Jesus said Jesus sternly, come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching? And with authority, he even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Verse 22, the people were amazed at his teaching, why? Because he taught as one who had authority. And the type of authority that they had never heard before. There was something about Jesus' authority that came right through with his teaching. And then as they observed what we just read, and we look back down verse 27, they were so amazed. And they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority again, And with the authority that he can give orders to impure spirits and they obey him what was this authority that jesus was using through his teaching and through his ministry that people were amazed and they stood there and they had to acknowledge this unquestionable authority of jesus this ultimate authority and when we get that when we when we can see that jesus has unquestionable authority Then we're in a place that we can move forward. There is a place that we can benefit. There is a place that we can sit back and relax about life and whatever's going on around us. And we are in a spot where we win. When we come to this place of surrendering to this unquestionable authority, you heard it from from Sheldon, that story of coming out of darkness and addiction to surrendering to this authority that he was new new to him. But as he did that, he got the gift of life back to him again. We understand through scripture that Jesus does have ultimate authority. As creator, John one verse three says, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Jesus has authority as creator over all creation. He is the sustainer. Colossians 1 17 says, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. So not only does he have the authority to create, He's holding it all together. He has that kind of authority over the world. We sang about that in that hymn, How Great Thou Art. Jesus has authority over Satan and, and demons. We see that come through in this passage, that he come, they come up with a shriek because of his authority, his authority over death. One Corinthians 15, 55 to 57 says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus has authority, ultimate authority over creation, over the functions of the world, over Satan and the demons, over death, and over us. But there's a question mark there. And we're gonna, we're gonna come back and look at this in a few minutes. Does Jesus have authority over us, or more specifically, does Jesus have authority over me, or does Jesus have authority over you? I want just to leave that hang for a few minutes, because I want us to, we're gonna come back to that, but I want us to jump into the next section of Mark chapter one. So let's go to verse 29. <clears throat> as soon as they left the synagogue, They went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases he also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Again, he's demonstrating his authority. But here we have this picture of Jesus. Now he ends up at Simon's house, only to hear that Simon's mother-in-law is in one of the side rooms in a bedroom with a fever. And so out of his compassion, he goes into her, and meets with her, and he heals her to the point that she's instantly cured and has the energy to go out and care for them and wait on them. That same evening, stories of Jesus' miracles are starting to surface. And what we just read there, the words in the scriptures, the whole town came out to see him bringing the words of the scriptures, where all the sick and all those that were possessed, and as the whole town came out um, jesus is busy healing them and i love this this scene is portrayed in the in the video series the chosen if some of you have watched that and followed that i love how they portrayed this scene because we get we see the crowds of people there and the disciples are trading off or spelling each other off doing crowd control but they have their own little space back behind this for themselves and they have a big fire going and they have food on the table and they're joking around and just interacting and taking turns doing crowd control but for their life is pretty chill and yeah it gets sunset comes and it gets dark and they're around the fire and eventually jesus comes out from the tent that he was in where the people were coming in for healing and you can just see physical exhaustion all over him and he's worn right out and and they show him the table of food and they say jesus do you want to eat something and he says i'm just too exhausted and as he's saying that you can still see this sense of but it was a good day the joy and the serving and the compassion well meanwhile the disciples were pretty relaxed and just enjoying life Jesus was being drained and he kept doing it out of a heart of generous compassion for people desiring that each person receive what they needed to receive whether it was a healing or a deliverance he was doing what he was doing healing people delivering demons because of this generous compassion that motivated him But something caught me about this passage all the sick were brought to jesus all the possessed were brought to jesus and then it says and and he healed many who were sick and he delivered many demons it doesn't say all all were brought many were healed and so it begs the question here as we're talking about unquestionable authority and generous compassion why were there some who were brought to jesus that weren't healed weren't delivered there were times and the first thing that came to mind there were there were times when god has a different plan and we might un- not understand that and i immediately thought of paul as he describes in the scriptures he describes in his words or his thorn in the flesh Something was going on within him physically that was slowing him down, that was creating discomfort and agony and pain in his life. And he prayed. And he prayed that God would heal him, that God would release him from that. And this is Paul, who had many times had prayed for people for their healing. And even this morning I was reading in the book of Acts and how he was preaching, and his preaching, the words I was reading, his preaching dragged on, and somebody who was sitting on the third floor window uh, fell out of the window and fell asleep and fell out of the window and died. And Paul went down and prayed for him, and God healed him. And so Paul had this, he was, God was using him to bring healing and miracles in everybody's lives. Except for he had this thorn in the flesh. And here's what, here's what the scripture says. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. When Paul was saying, God, why aren't you taking this from me? He said, he said, God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul's response was, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. We may not understand why some people are not healed, why God has a different purpose for him, but for Paul, he two things kind of come through here, the same two things. He knew Jesus had unquestionable authority, so if he wasn't going to be healed, there was a reason for it. He knew that Jesus went with A sense of generous compassion and so out of that generous compassion he says i am going to boast about this so that christ's power may rest on me we sang that song earlier raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies that's what paul was committed to doing because those things permeated it even though he didn't get his healing he knew there was some authority still at work in his life that was for his benefit that would help him move through this and gratefully received with the compassion of Jesus when he received his grace that was sufficient. But there are times that we're not healed, not because of that, but because we need to deal with some stuff. James 5:16 says confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. There's stuff that's going on inside of us, emotional baggage that we haven't resolved, bitterness, different things that are holding us back, distrust of God. Sometimes our physical ailments are tied to unresolved emotional wounds, and Jesus wants us to work through those so that the healing will come. It was after one of our services here at GPAC when Liz and I were on the prayer team up front here, and a couple came up, husband and wife, and um, and it was for her, and she was talking about, she wanted prayer for things that were going on in her physically, but as she was sharing her story, we could tell there was a lot of unresolved emotional stuff. And so I, after we prayed for her, I carried on a conversation for her and about inner healing, the stuff that Sheldon was talking about and how that, how God can use that process to bring healing. And so she agreed to come. And this was started a couple years ago and she's been coming fairly consistently, sporadically. Every four or five months she will come. And God was doing a lot of powerful things in releasing her from her emotional baggage and, she was just back this past week, and I, I never knew this part of the story. But she says, every time I come to deal with my emotional stuff, I experience a physical healing in some other area of my life. I'm going, that's pretty cool. <clears throat> Had no idea. That, but it ties in with this. Our emotional stuff can be a barrier for God's healing in our physical life. Not always, but at times. And so this time she said, I I don't even know, I I think I'm doing okay emotionally, but I've got this physical stuff that's bugging me and they can't find an answer for it. So my husband says, maybe you need to go for inner healing and maybe, and sure enough, as she opened herself up to saying, God, where do I need to be? She went through some very, very deep stuff that she didn't know was holding her back. Some pretty deep rooted bitterness and things that were holding her back and she left feeling again, God is gonna do a deeper work of physical healing because of the emotional release that she came to. So the point is this, at times God won't heal us physically because we've been carrying emotional hurts around, bitterness, anger, distrust of God that prohibit him from doing that work. So we need to step up and say, like I said in James five sixteen, confess our sins to one another, work through some of those things so that we may be healed. And the third point that comes to mind about why many, all were brought to Jesus, many were healed is that just our distrust of God will prohibit that. All the demon possessed were brought to Jesus, but many were delivered. And I think this, it would go against the nature of Jesus to not deliver somebody from demonic oppression if they were wanting it. So when we think about why didn't Jesus deliver people from the darkness of demonic oppression, there was something inside of the person that they weren't ready for that. There was a distrust of God. They weren't ready to receive that. And so I love the phrase in the scriptures where it says they were brought to Jesus. And I get this picture that the community's excited. Jesus is here and all these things are happening. They're dragging people, in some cases, against their will. People are going, yeah, okay, I'll go if you want me to. But they weren't really there for themselves. And if that's the case, if we're reluctant and we have this distrust, we're not gonna receive what Jesus has for us. I think if we wanna relate it to what I deal with on day-to-day with addictions, a lot of times people will say, I'm gonna bring my brother to you because he needs to be fixed. I'm going, that's great, does your brother wanna come? No. Wait for your, yeah, wait till they're ready. And I think that was probably the scene here. All these people were, were being dragged to Jesus, brought to Jesus, but they may not have been at the place where they were ready yet they saw jesus at work they saw his teaching and they were amazed at his authority they saw his healings deliverance from demons they saw all of that but at some level there was a sense of distrust and they said that may be good for them but not for me and they regarded and then the healing couldn't happen <clears throat> so now let's come back to where we left off here a few minutes ago when we're talking about the unquestionable and ultimate authority of Jesus, that is over creation as he is the creator, that he is the sustainer, he holds everything together in our world. He has power over Satan and the demons. He has authority over death. And we're back to that question about, what about us as individuals? We don't like authority. There's a part of us that, is, that, that we tend to resist authority. That's part of our human nature to fight it, to ignore it, And I want to suggest today is the day that we need to surrender to this unquestionable and ultimate authority of Jesus. So we live with this tension that we want to fight it, but there's something inside of us that longs to have an unquestionable authority over us that we can trust in, that we can give our lives to. And so as you look at that tension, I want you to just kind of pay attention to some things that maybe God will have you or want you to work through so you can come to this place. Revelation 5, verses 11 and 12. And I heard an evangelist, this was years ago, over 30 years ago, heard an evangelist speak on this passage and it still sticks with me whenever I hear these words, but listen to them and then I'll, I'll explain what I mean. In Revelation chapter five, verses 11 and 12. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000, that's a lot of angels they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders and in a loud voice they were saying, and this is the part I want you to catch, worthy is the lamb who was slain. And that's Jesus, the lamb who was slain. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Worthy is the lamb. He has this unquestionable authority that all this is his. And when I heard this evangelist unpack that, he said, Jesus the Lamb has been given all that authority and he's worthy of all that power except the power that he's entrusted to you and to me. He's worthy to receive all power except that what he's entrusted to us. How do you use your power, your influence? How do you use your voice? Is it part of what Dan was talking about last week about bringing people to Jesus? fishers of men, or using your voice in other ways? Are you allowing the ultimate unquestionable authority to Jesus to have your power, your voice, your influence? Does it reflect submission to Jesus? What about your wealth? He is worthy to receive all wealth except the wealth that he's entrusted to you and to me. That wealth that is in our wallets, in our bank accounts, How are we using our resources? Are we bringing it under the authority of Jesus without question, saying, Jesus, this is my my stuff and it's yours now? Are we living that kind of a life or do we use our resources elsewhere? Does our our use of resources reflect submission to his unquestionable authority? What about wisdom? Again, Jesus says, worthy of receiving all wisdom And the point would be, accept the wisdom that he's entrusted to us, to our brains, to our rational thinking, to our processing. We have, we live in a world that has so much information at our disposal instantly through a few clicks on the computer, we can gain so much information. But when it translates to wisdom, how are we using our wisdom? In a world where mental health and addictions is getting out of control, where violence, in our culture, and our society is out of control. With all this wisdom at our disposal, why aren't we doing better? It's a time we bring our wisdom and submit it under the authority of Jesus. And then honor or strength goes to, what about your strength? Jesus has authority over all strength except for the strength that he's given to you and to I where does the best part of your energy go in a day? What do you do with the best part of your emotional, physical energy? What do you invest your time in and your skills in? Does it reflect submission to his unquestionable authority? And these are the questions I want us to process as we try to live in this intersection of unquestionable authority and generous mercy, because that's where we're gonna thrive, and that the, then he goes on to say, honor and glory and praise, and those are kind of all the same. How quick are we to give honor, glory, and praise? When things aren't going well in our life, and I'm thinking back to Paul and his thorn in the flesh, when he's going, God, I don't want this thing. It's holding me back, it's dragging me down. And Jesus says to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. And then Paul comes back to this: honor, glory, and praise. I will boast about my weakness so that God would be glorified in me. Can we take that response? Can we raise a hallelujah in the presence of our enemies? We just sang that. Can we do that? When we do this assessment of these areas, how do we do? How do we check those boxes? How do we react to his unquestionable authority in those areas? Are we willing to be submissive, hands off, hand it over him to it? When we come back to what Mark is sharing here in chapter one, we will see something that quite powerful will happen when we put ourselves under this unquestionable authority and open our hearts to this generous mercy. We will be living exactly where God wants us to live, in a place where we can thrive and grow and move forward. And and you hear stories like uh, Sheldon and others that have come through our program, and they get to that place, and they go, this is where I want to live. And for those like myself who've been raised in the church and have been exposed to this, we need to come back to this place and say, yeah, that's where I wanna live. So how do we make these adjustments if you're going, I'm not sure, maybe maybe some of these things about, my, about the wealth that's invested to me or the power that's been invested to me or the wisdom that's invested to me, maybe I'm not doing as good as I could be. How do we discern what to do next? Let's go to this last section that we're supposed to, that's part of our text for today. Mark chapter one, verses 36 to 39. We're beginning at verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark. So this is the, the next day, Jesus working late into the night, healing people, delivering demons, exhausted. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. But, I mean, they were so excited. This thing, is momentum was building, and it said, Jesus, everyone's looking for you. This is great. Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else. And I can just see them shaking their heads. What do you mean? This is, look at what's going on here. But Jesus said, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come so he traveled throughout galilee preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons jesus found clarity to his purpose that is why i have come yeah there's lots of momentum and lots of excitement here because of what happened here last night but but i need to be out there that's why i came how do we process stuff how do we discern god's direction in a world of distractions and it comes down to following Jesus' pattern of going to a solitary place. That's where we can discern the difference between a distraction and God's direction, because sometimes our distractions look pretty good. With all of our technolo- technological advances that we live with in our, in our world, you would think we would have time to withdraw to a solitary place, but our worlds have become more hectic than ever, and we have lost the solitary place of sitting with God for an extended period of time to discern his direction and how to move forward so we can sit under his unquestionable authority. If we're going to learn to submit to that unquestionable authority, it will begin by meeting with Jesus in a solitary place to discern where do we go next. That might be coming here after the service today to these stairs at this altar and have somebody pray with you. And might be going for a walk and just finding a quiet place at a picnic table or under a tree and just saying god what do we do with this how can i use my power my wealth my influence in a better way to submit to you sometimes god's direction doesn't make sense that's why we need that solitary place that's exactly what the disciples were experiencing here They were so excited when they explained, Jesus, everybody's looking for you, this is growing, this is exactly what we envisioned, this is gonna be great. And Jesus says, no, no, we need to go over there. Sometimes the distractions look good and nothing wrong with them, but we need to go to the solitary place to make sure we stay on track with our direction. So in this section, early in the morning, they're trying to, the disciples are after Jesus, they were caught up in the distraction of the excitement, Jesus was focused on the calling and the direction of God, and we need to come back to that place. He was committed to the call. When we come under the authority, the unquestionable authority of Jesus, and start letting the generous compassion change us and flow through us, then we can live in this place of this intersection where we're gonna be productive and fruitful for Jesus. Let me um, wrap up here with with one more passage of scripture to tie this up. What is our response to his unquestionable authority and his generous compassion when we live at that intersection, when we settle in there and say, this is where I wanna live, what does that look like? And turning back to Luke, or turning to Luke chapter 10, And this is, um, Jesus sent out a group of 72 people and he sent them out with authority to do ministry on his behalf. And, And here's what it says in Luke chapter 10. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Today is Pentecost Sunday, when the day that, as a church globally, we celebrate the fact that when Jesus was ascended into heaven, He sent the Holy Spirit to be our our comforter, to be our, our guide, to be our empowering, and we have his spirit with us now to do exactly what Jesus commissioned the 72 to do. I gave you authority to move forward into what we would call spiritual, uh, unfriendly spiritual climate. I give you authority to move into that and watch what God can do. Eugene Peterson in that introduction to Mark said, the, the point of Mark is to let us know that God is here and is on our side, and now we can take that to say he's also given us the authority to do what he was doing if we live at that intersection that we want to live at. And he's passionate to save us to the point that he said, don't don't rejoice that you can go out in authority and see God do amazing things around you. You can see people healed and people delivered. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Celebrate the fact that Jesus is passionate to save us, and we should share that passion and go and be fishers of men, as we talked about last week. Build your life at the intersection of unquestionable authority that Jesus has over us, receiving his generous mercy and compassion. As we come to the point of our service where Dallas is gonna come here in a couple seconds and lead us in communion. And as you do that, and as you get a chance to hold those elements in your hand, think about the unquestionable authority that is represented in the emblem of the broken body and shed the blood of Jesus can you come to that place to surrender to that and maybe you're here this morning and you're hurting and are broken inside and you need that generous compassion of jesus to flow through you let surrender to that too and let jesus touch you deeply today as we share in communion